Federal is 10. Among the numerous advantages promised by a well-constructed union, none deserves to be more accurately developed than its tendency to break and control the violence of faction. The friend of popular governments never finds himself so much alarmed for their character and fate as when he contemplates their propensity to this dangerous vice. He will not fail, therefore, to set a due value on any plan which, without violating the principles to which he is attached, provides a proper cure for it. The instability, injustice, and confusion introduced into the public councils have, in truth, been the mortal diseases under which popular governments have everywhere perished, as they continue to be the favorite and fruitful topics from which the adversaries to liberty derive their most specious declamations. The valuable improvements made by the American constitutions on the popular models, both ancient and modern, cannot certainly be too much admired, but it would be an unwarrantable partiality to contend that they have as effectually obviated the danger on this side as was wished and expected. Complaints are everywhere heard from our most considerate and virtuous citizens. Equally, the friends of public and private faith and of public and personal liberty that our governments are too unstable and that the public good is disregarded in the conflicts of rival parties, and that measures are too often decided, not according to the rules of justice and the rights of the minor party, but by the superior force of an interested and overbearing majority. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. I did, I did, I gotta say, Spock, I can't, first of all, April Fools. Yeah. April Fools. April Fools, folks. Number one, you thought we would we would read the Federalist on here. Number two, you think I would read? Smug doesn't read. I, I refuse to read. <laughs> Happy April Fools, though, folks. It's that no. it's like that Simpsons meme, you know, I was elected to lead, not to read. And I believe in that so fully. I mean, just <laughs> reading is to me on, on its face the most ridiculous concept. Books are so incredibly dumb. Like we don't paint on cave walls anymore. We've progressed past cavemen, you know. So like, you know, in the Enlightenment or, or the Renaissance or whatever, we're sitting and looking at dead trees in our hands. That's the stupidest thing I've ever, like, it, why are we using, this is a dead technology. If it's not in a podcast, if it's not like a YouTube video, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to sit and move my eyes back and forth on a piece of paper. Someone, should, I'm going to listen to someone tell me things. I'm not dealing with that. That's ridiculous. Your take is that we've innovated out of books. Yeah, books are the dumbest, dumbest thing ever. <laughs> I hate books. I will never read. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like you visit my place, it's only coffee table books. I don't want any other books, dude. Dead weight. Stupid. Who reads? I mean, it's so good. I love that the premise of Ruthless is that we will not read you yeah. <laughs> Federalist Papers. Yeah. Who, I mean, raise your hand if you enjoy that intro. Like, no one. No <laughs> one wants to hear the Federalist Papers, dude. I, what, I love, what I love about this is that Smug has in his Twitter bio under interests, books. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've explained that numerous times. That's 100% just to impress people. And I think that's why books exist currently. It's like, it's, it's, it's like, like, oh, I enjoy books. Oh, it's like when wonderful. people, when, when people have a Tinder profile and they're like, my interest is running. And it's like, no, it's not. No, yeah. <laughs> nope. 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 It's, it's like books. It's like, okay. The people who have their like book collections in the background of their zoom or whatever. Instantly. I'm skeptical. Instantly. I'm skeptical. It's like the reason that you have the books there is not because you enjoy reading or gleaned information from them. It's you want other people to know. And that's just like this fake facade that academics and academia created to be like, oh, yes, books, books are great because they want to try to explain away how they've wasted their lives. Well, like an bet. academics, like I have a PhD. I make like $9,000 a year, but it was worth it to throw away my life. <laughs> This is such a great start to the program. Yeah, that's hot welcome, fire. Welcome to the Ruthless Variety program, the 51st episode. I'm glad everybody enjoyed the last one. You know, not, not everybody gets to talk about fighting horses, uh, but we do here on the program. 
Yeah. I mean, we got great feedback on that. I, I heard a lot of people say which animal they would fight. Some offering their own tips on, on fighting a horse and such, but I stand by my statements. No, I think you stand on, on solid ground, uh, clearly well defended uh, with beating dinosaurs and the like. Uh, this particular program is a big one because we have the former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, with huge. us. Huge. Very, very. Huge. Very, very big. It's a fascinating interview. I can't wait to get to it. Before we get to that, we have a couple of business issues to clear up. Number one thing, we have to spike the football folks. We were the first to tell you about the attempted steal in Iowa, too. Rita Hart and the Dems, Pelosi, they all tried to steal this election. We let everyone know what was going on. And folks, Rita Hart has withdrawn her challenge. We stopped the steal. Such a, such a big deal. Such a big deal. I, dude, we're so, it's just a heater. We're on a the heater. Power, the power of Ruthless. I, I mean, first order of business, we had to spike the football. And, you know, we, we got the word out because, the, of course, the media didn't want to cover it. They wanted to cover up that, like, Pelosi in broad daylight, Grand Theft Auto was trying to steal an election that the recanvas and the certification had the Republican winning. And she was like, nope, nope, nope. And we even had Miller Meeks here on the show. Yeah, yeah it, it was great. And she was great. And the thing that was really frustrating about it is you had her doing her job, yeah. you know, all day. She's going, she's visiting the border. You know, I, I saw her, she tweeted something out the other day. She was, you know, administering vaccines. Yeah. And so she's doing her job that the people in Iowa too elected her to do. Yep. And all the while, Nancy Pelosi and Mark Elias, you know, Democratic lawyer who, you know, was involved in this suit um, that that uh, the Democrat uh, brought to the House Administration uh, Committee, they're trying to unseat her. It was insane. Totally insane. Two things about this. One, very important to remember, she withdrew her challenge. Nancy Pelosi was willing to go through with this. Yep. She was willing to go through with this. The leadership of the Democratic Party, including the president of the United States himself, was willing to unseat a state-certified member of Congress for pure partisan purposes. Not because they won, not because Rita Hart won, but because they could. Right? Important to remember, in the context of things that we're going to be dealing with over the next few months, these people were willing to do this. Right? The second piece is, I also want to thank Kevin McCarthy. He was out there yesterday. He, he helped lead the charge in, in, in bringing a lot of attention to this. He deserves some credit. We got it done. They moved on. We saved the seat. Good for everybody. And, you but, know, shout out to uh, McCarthy's team for listening to the podcast. Shout out to Kevin McCarthy for listening and understanding what's important. <laughs> Appreciate them. It's, it's, uh, it's proof from the show. It's proof that when we fight, we can win. Yep. Right. And that's what's so important. And I think is going to be a big theme here on today's program. Yeah. I, I mean, let's just put a, a fine point on that, Duncan. Everything that we've engaged in here on the program, people have have taken up the cause, have gone to work and we've been successful. Right. Whether it was near a Tandon or, you know, H.R. one, we're going to win that next month. Uh, the filibuster, we're going to win that one. We just have to stay at it. This one, Iowa 2, in my view, was as big as it gets. Huge, huge win. I mean, outstanding work, gentlemen. I'm just so pleased that we got the word out, and it's over. It's over. We stopped them. Michael, what do we have on our fundraiser for Feeding America? He did it. Young Foldy did it. He got to $10,000. Just incredible. I think huge he did round 5K. Yeah, he did like 5K yesterday or the day before and just like blew it out. I'm, I'm, I'm not being facetious or funny. I'm genuinely proud, impressed, awestruck. Um, because, like I've said before on the show, Feeding America is an incredible charity. That 10000 plus at this point that he has raised for them, for every dollar, it's 10 meals for families in America in need. That's over 100,000 meals. I'm so proud of his work. Outstanding job, Foldy. He'll definitely be a guest on the show. And, and listen, a big And thing. the haircut. And the haircut. We didn't forget about that. 
Right. We got the haircut. The unfortunate part here is I'm not going to be able to administer it. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough situation. You want to, you want to help folks in need or you want to cut Foldy's hair. I'm honest. That's a toss up. I was, but you I know was, what we, we, we got taken care of. I was conflicted. The folks in need came first. Yeah. Okay. With it. I'm living with it. I'm still processing it, frankly, because I really wanted, I had a great bunch of great ideas. Thanks to the minions for the haircut samples that they sent in uh, really good stuff, but really honestly, and this is no joke. Thank you to all the listeners for your help in getting to that 10,000. I mean, that was, I mean, look, it's a big deal, right? It helps a lot of people. So thank you. It's, you know, tremendous generosity and it's helping people who absolutely need it right now. Thank you all so much to our listeners. Totally. So, so I've been lobbying Foldy to, to maybe do the cut in a couple stages, you know, like you, know, you grow a long beard and you know you got it comes time to shave it right but like you're not just going to shave the beard you're going to like shave it and maybe keep a mustache take a photo and be like this is what i would look like with a ridiculous tom Selleck mustache you know and i want him to do that with the haircut like i want him to cut it once with maybe the mullet well he kind of did it with the mullet didn't yeah he? yeah yeah i just look good slick back i'm i guess i'm looking for for something fun. do i still get the scissors no Come on. No. So let's get the guy a good cut. What's the logistics here, Smug? What do you think? So I'm willing to, so the, uh, for, the, for the listeners at home, if you're in the New York area, Truman's in Midtown, always gets my highest marks. You go there for a haircut, but it includes unlimited, and there's no like catch to it, unlimited top shelf liquor. So, uh, you know, what's your average haircut looking like? 30 to 45 minutes? I think I can cause some damage. I always come ahead on that trade. Uh, you know, I think I'll just take Young Foldy up to uh, Truman's. You're going to put him on it. You're going to get on a train with Foldy to go to Truman's for a haircut. The, the haircuts are that good. I don't yeah. let anyone else touch these lovely locks. Well, I can understand that. It's a fine head of hair. Um but but I, I'm also like you know I mean look that's generosity in your own right, Smile. Yeah, I mean he earned it. He's done. You know I, a lot of credit to him. He grinded it out in one week. He's 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 worked tirelessly to get a hundred thousand meals to families in need. He's a good kid. Outstanding work. He's a good kid. We're happy to host him on the variety program. Maybe as soon as next week. You'll have to keep. Uh, Keep an eye out. We've got so many interviews. We have all kinds of, I mean, yeah, this, the lineup the program, is bananas, man. The lineup yeah, the, is insane. The program is going through the roof, folks. People love the program. Uh, it's, uh, if we're being honest, it was, it's been very difficult for me to keep this secret, keep it under my hat that we have Pompeo, that he, that he agreed to come on the show. Cause it's a, it's a great one. He's a great guy. I mean, that's that we're, we're in big time territory now. Well, yeah, and it's totally. good. It's 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 good for him because we we have a global audience now. You know, well, that's right. right. We, we we tweeted out uh, our listeners around the globe, and I was really surprised. You know, people are like, "Hey, yeah, listening here in Nigeria, listening here in <laughs> Ireland." I'm like, "What?" Yeah, you know, we have no listeners in North Korea. You know, we need that government. Let you know, bring down that wall. Let, let the let the people that, listen to ruthless that ruthless wall. Well, we address it. We address it with we address North Korea with Pompeo. So we'll hear all of that. Outstanding. It's, it's really cool to know that people are listening around the globe. Sh- special shout out to our Kiwi friends in New Zealand. The original map cut off New Zealand, and people are like, "I'm low key pissed." Boy, where's New Zealand? <laughs> <laughs> so I had to. I, you know, I had to get that cropped so we could tweet that out, but shout out to the Kiwis. I love it. So I want to, I want to cover two things before we get into um, our other stuff here. The first is uh, our hack bracket. We are in the final four. It's been an incredible run so far. Personally, my bracket is broken, Uh, but the, the voting, the, the numbers are tremendous and Sure, there have been some upsets, but I think, again, this supports what we've been telling you folks. There's a number of factors going into this. Getting hot, you know, it's just like March Madness, Hack Madness. Getting hot at the right time is key. So, 100%. So you've got, you've got Rupar, Aaron Rupar in the final four. He came in as a four seed. He started pushing out this garbage that even the Chinese Communist Party ran with. 
<laughs> I mean, that'll get you into the that'll get you into the final four. That's going to take you deep, and that's what it's done. I personally have three of the four. I I had Lorenzo Same. over Rupar. Same, but but I, I I'm totally comfortable with the fact that Rupar has earned his right in the final. I feel like this is a very well deserving final four. It really is. It really is. The cream rose to the top. I you know I had Lawrence in mind, but again, like I said, she you know. Leading into it, when when the committee was deciding the seating, yeah, yeah, yeah she 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 was. The, the problem is she blew up right before when she needed to. Well, and right she blocked she and she blocked basically every minion, and yeah. so it made it yep. more difficult for interaction. But I will say, Chris Cuomo in the establishment division, he's had a hell of a month. He's coming in with a hot hand. He's going to face Rupar in the way too online division. Yeah, every day it's like we learn more about Fredo and Andrew Cuomo. We're like, uh, apparently Andrew Cuomo was pulling. COVID doctors <laughs> to run up and uh, provide tests and treatment to his brother in the Hamptons, it, which it, is incredible. He was like, no, 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 You don't need to be at the hospital. You take care of my brother. And CNN it, knew of it. I mean, there you go, folks. That, that's, that's, that's what Hack Madness is all about. Incredible. So on the other side of the bracket, we have a repeat from last year's championship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is... This is, I mean, big look, time. as big as it gets. It's Jennifer Rubin against the potato himself, Brian Stelter. Absolute powerhouse teams. I mean, those are those are those are programs that it, it it doesn't matter the season, it doesn't matter the administration. They will hack it up. They will. I, I so originally my my bracket, I've got Stelter winning this thing. I'm not confident in it. I feel like Jennifer Rubin's had a hell of a month. I mean, really, it's anyone it, of these four. You never know. Rupar could unleash more communist propaganda. You know, Fredo could could have another controversy pop up. You just don't know. These these are these are four teams very deserving of being in the final four. Yeah, I think I think Cuomo can surprise some people mm-hmm. here. Well, you have that. You're trying to right. I see what you're doing. No, I mean, look. I'm all I'm saying is the guy, you know, uh, got COVID tests from his brother, the governor. You know, while his brother was, you know, putting COVID positive pace, uh, patients in nursing homes. I Listen, mean, I understand the facts, but I also understand that you're the only one that has Cuomo winning this whole thing. And ooh. so you're, you're trying to juice the- talk in your book. Yeah, oh, no, look, your book, look, I, I, the only reason I said that is because you Holmes said that you had Stelter winning. Okay. I see what's going on here. Okay. <laughs> you right. know what I want to bring up? You know, people people often say I can be too antagonistic, but I have to bring this up, folks. I'm really nervous about what you're about to say. I have no idea what it is. I want to talk about the Pod Bros. Pod Save America created a bullshit copy of Hack Madness. I didn't know about this until today, folks. It was brought to my attention. They've created what are they calling it? March Badness. March Badness. March Badness. And they you rolled know, it you out. expect they that rolled- kind of genius from from oh, so so for folks who don't know. Uh, Pod Save America is basically what like the broken brain lib wine moms listen to. Uh, they, they've got no pull. It's Obama's former speechwriters who, of course, are top caliber to come up with something like March Badness. Uh, top shelf shit, guys. Good job. It's, you know, look, I, I don't want to hate on anybody for having a bit like it's a podcast. You got to come up with the content and be creative, but like get your fucking own. Get your own yeah. content. Yeah, yeah. Come Instead of own. they do some sort of like C, you know, C level like ripoff of our stuff, and it's just you know, somebody pointed it out to me, and so I listened to that part of the segment of their pod, and it's just like cringe content, dude. It's not. <laughs> it isn't creative. You know, get your own bit. I don't know how hard can we pop off on them. I don't because. They, they previously they followed me, you know, they used to be cool about it. You, you always snipe back and forth with the other side. Uh, Vitor, who I, I, he was the van driver, right? Was he the van driver? The, the famous van driver? I don't know. One of them was a van driver. Uh, he, he straight up blocked. He couldn't handle it. Uh, the only one who I think has any talent is love it. I think he can actually be funny. The rest are just like living off of being known as Obama speechwriters, and they come up with things as clever as March Badness. Clown <laughs> they shows. Got in, they got it in right under the gun. You know, good good for them rolling it out on March 29th. You know, <laughs> amazing. 
Yeah. Amazing. Good job. Good, good job over there on the West coast. You're really in the I thick think of it. It's so weak, but it's so funny. I mean, they're just kind of living in the lib limelight doing their thing in California, man. Just yeah. like hanging out. Yep. You know? It's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, you know what? Tune in next week, folks. I'm sure we'll have another great idea for you guys to come yeah. try to do the lib version of. <laughs> and as a kindness, my, my advice to them, don't clap back. Cause we'll come back 10 times harder. You don't want it. You don't want the smoke, dude. You don't want the smoke. Just take the cell. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. We've got, here's how I'm going to preface this segment. Last uh, Tuesday, you learned that Smug could take on a horse. Yeah. Well, he, he claims. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I could take it, dude. With, if I recall specifically, a faint and a rib kick. Well, I mean, here's how the argument goes. is I had people being like, oh, you know, I know this like superhero horse. <laughs> It's like, okay, I'm talking about like the average horse. My experience especially is like limited to mostly like a, you know, a dressage horse. So like one of these like dancing pretty horses, like, yeah. Bro, a roundhouse to the ribs takes him out. <laughs> all right, all right, right. Like we've, we've covered that. We now see in the White House, there's another animal that is quite fierce. Major Biden. Smug, I'm going to ask you point blank. Could you take out the dog, Major Biden? 100% no. That <laughs> dog would kill me. Have you seen it? So uh, for folks who aren't aware, Major Biden is like the devil dog. That I mean, here's the thing. is So the, part of me feels sympathy for this dog because this is the dog that our current president, Joe Biden, said he jumped out of a shower naked and pulled this dog's tail, right? <laughs> like what? And that's how like Joe Biden like hurt his foot like slipping or, or like the dog was just so, so stunned that a new man. I still man. don't get that. So weird. Who does that? Like, who does that? Like two-year-olds don't think of that. Your brain has to be mush to be like, but it's, it's jump out it's of shower naked, pounce on dog. It's also weird. very underpants gnome stuff. Like I pulled dog, break foot. I don't like the connection. I don't get it. But. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of missing pieces that frankly, I don't want to know, but here's the thing. So like major Biden, the president's hell dog, was 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 sent to Delaware. I thought I, you know, I thought that was like an excuse of like, oh, you know, he went to a farm upstate. Apparently, this dog bites people nonstop. Lost its mind, in my opinion. It was sent to Delaware, but now they brought it back. And what did it do? We're talking about like it wasn't even a week ago they brought it back. It's, it, it bit someone else. They had a photo of this dog. Look at the dog's eyes. <laughs> Dead inside, dude. It's like a shark's eyes, all black. Has nothing to live for. The dog has had its tail pulled by a naked Joe Biden. What do you think is going to do to him? What do you think? He's going to lash out at the world. Black eyes like a doll's eyes. Look into him. Dead eyes, dude. <laughs> I, I could not take that dog. That dog would kill me. Absolutely kill me. Well, but He'll you, kill anybody. He will. If this is allowed to continue, he's going to kill somebody. When, when you were talking about fighting the horse, though, you, you said that you could use some sort of deceit and sort of trick the horse yeah. so you can get around to the ribs. I mean, how do you attack Major Biden and sort of distract him? You can't, dude. Here's the thing is, so like there is no sense, you know, this is this is a, a, a there's no place in our streets for dogs of war. You know, this is the same breed of dog used by special forces. Why do, why does someone need a dog of war? Oh, I see. There's no need. Oh, it's an assault dog. It's an assault dog, folks. I see. What it's an assault doing. dog, folks. We should have no? a waiting. We should have a waiting period on a dog like that. Yeah, seriously, it's easier to get uh, a crazy ass dog like Major Biden than to vote. Many people are saying. Do many you think? People. Do you think maybe a background check would be absolutely, absolutely? Biden is clearly unfit to have this kind of this caliber of a dangerous assault dog. <laughs> I couldn't take it, dude. The dog would kill me so easily too. So easily. What are you gonna do? It's got shark eyes. Dead inside dog been a horrible life for this dog of, of this like nude crazy person jumping out of showers pulling on his tail of course he wants to kill everything well so here's an interesting new wrinkle here which is as far as i can tell the dog is basically the only thing that the uh press is willing to write negatively about this administration like he can basically destroy the economy uh destroy our kids minds by not opening schools they can they can do everything possible to ruin our country and then everybody's like ah oh, yeah well you know there's differences amongst parties but then the guy the guy the guy's dog takes a shit in the living room 
and it all of a sudden is an Associated Press piece. <laughs> I'm not. I have doubts it was the dog. I think that I think Joe's pinning it on it. I think his staff's <laughs> like, uh oh, Joe like shat on the carpet. Get him, get him back in bed, dude. Get him, get him an applesauce. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Poor dog, man. He didn't deserve this fate. I think Dunks, I think we may have like a new segment, which is just smug on animals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he, I mean, he always has a very firm uh, take, you know, and sometimes it's really hot. You know, he, he, he doesn't like Jonah Goldberg's dogs as, as I mean, those are clearly bad dogs. They're out right. of control. But do you think, do you think major Biden's worse than Jonah's dogs? I mean, it's tough. I think, I think major Biden is, er, an out of control dog. I think he absolutely has bloodlust, <laughs> but I can understand where it comes from. Jonah's dogs are just like these pampered pooches from hell. I think that's they the misbehave. Difference. Yeah, yeah, they just misbehave. Spoiled. Yep, okay. that's it. Wow. Okay. I would love. I would love Smug to like judge a dog competition. Wouldn't that yeah. be wonderful? Yeah, we'd get we'd get some great dogs winning that. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> oh my gosh. We got to get, we got to get, I mean, we have so many big plans, guys. Listen, this is, we're coming out of COVID. Uh, people are getting vaccinated. Yeah. We, we have a big, we've been kicking around ruthless live ideas, you know, maybe a dog show. Uh, oh, send us your ideas. Honestly, all we, all we want to do is make sure to have a good time. And so all ideas are welcome at this point. Yep, that fiftieth and fiftieth uh, episode spectacular said it all. We we are here for the people. We we live to serve. That's it's awesome. I can't wait. So, <clears throat> one piece of business that we need to get to before we welcome the former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, the President of the United States Joe Biden is rolling out an absolute abortion of a. They call it an infrastructure bill. Um, but it's not really an infrastructure bill other than the fact that it just throws money at like every union in America. And, and it's like, Hey, build me this because you know, you're a constituency of mine. You know, and, and this kind of like, uh, is tied to this, this thing that's been bugging me recently is I just have this feeling that there is almost, there's zero purpose to pointing out the hypocrisy of this administration, like being like, Oh, wow. They're throwing kids in cages. You know, oh, wow, they're doing everything that's bad. Like, okay, sure. But it's not like we have a referee that's going to be like, okay, you know, that's a foul. Points against Biden administration. Because right. the media is already in their pocket. The media is is, is their referee. You know, right. the media is, is calling fouls uh, to protect Democrats. No one, you know, what are we going to get from being like, oh, they're hypocrites. Oh, my gosh. Imagine if Trump did this. Yeah. What we have to do is, uh, you know, starting from a grassroots level, we have to band together and we have to fight their agenda because it's become crystal clear. This is just like in every aspect on every front, it's a total takeover. We've got to fight ahead on. You're absolutely right, Smug. I mean, you just look at this Georgia uh, voting reform law and like the facts don't actually matter. They're just going to say it's Jim yep. Crow. Yep. And the media is going to amplify that. And it's all going to be just, you know, grist for you know the liberals in washington to pass hr1 like they they need a talking point and so everyone's going to give them the talking point so like yeah i mean we can point out that they're hypocrites but ultimately at the end of the day like if we don't band together and fight this stuff yep. um we're not actually going to win like right. i'll tell you right now folks joe biden does not care kamala harris does not care when he point out how much they were crying about kids in cages and now they have thrown a record amount of kids in cages at the border they don't care what they're trying to do is a total power grab on every front. They're trying to take over elections with HR1. They're, they're, and the media is completely complicit in pushing these lies, like for, for this Georgia situation, where, where the media is lying about, oh my gosh, the Republicans don't want people to be able to get water. All the lies that you're seeing, the media carries for them. They are not going to play a ref. And then you see, like uh, Mayor Pete the other day was like, oh, you know, uh, we got to tax people by how many miles they drive. We have to tax gasoline. Who, who do you think that hurts, folks? That doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt billionaires. That doesn't make our society more fair. That's hurting people who have hourly wages, who have cars, who got to drive to work, who are grateful that they're able to drive to work after this pandemic has basically put so many businesses 
yeah. out of uh, out of out of business. They don't care about people. This is all about a power grab. So here's the construct that we find ourselves in. <clears throat> we you probably heard me talk about this a little bit on the program before, but but this is this is real talk. The pandemic brought progressives closer to their ideal governance structure than anything in the history of America. Anything, right? It is a government that can tell you when you can go out of your house, when you can work, what workers are essential, when your kids can go to school, when they can't go to school, how much money to send you, when to send you that money, whether you can be uh, vaccinated, what what person can be vaccinated first? What group do we find most appealing to send aid in the, in the, in the uh, COVID relief bill that we taught, heard Tim Scott talk about? They have complete and utter control over middle-class and lower-class Americans, right? And we're coming out of the pandemic now, thank God to the leadership of the previous administration with the, with the vaccines and everything else, we're coming out of that and they need a way to sort of re-grab on to that centralized power structure. Well, this is it, right? This is the next plan. It's the quote unquote infrastructure plan. And the infrastructure plan has everything to do with taxing the shit out of all of the businesses across. They're gonna, they're gonna say these are all about corporations. It's nothing to do with corporate. If you nope. think for a second, that like the Amazons of the world are being punished by a corporate tax. You you have not paid attention to how much corporate tax they've actually paid. Zero. Yeah, Bezos doesn't care. They're they've got robots that they're got coming online. They've got electric cars. Do you think he cares about gas prices going up as much as they have for the average American? Bezos isn't paying that. I mean, just look at what this what these shutdowns have done. Before the COVID shutdowns, there was one person on earth who had $100 billion. That was Bill Gates. Now there's five. I mean, it's a centralizing of power that dictates who can have and who can't. And what it does ultimately, like they couch it underneath the idea that they're somehow punishing the rich, but they're never punishing the rich. What they're actually punishing is the economic mobility of the middle class and the lower class to become more successful, right? Because when you're taxing the hell out of a whole bunch of small businesses, you're disincentivizing people from taking the risk to do it in the first place. Much easier to catch a W-2 for some corporation somewhere where you sit there and you push paper around for 30 years, you know, you kick a couple of different jobs and like out you go. It's great, it's a dignified life. Hopefully you have a good family and everything else to look forward to because your job's really not that rewarding. For those people who are inclined to try to take a risk and do something significant and, and try, you've taken that entire incentive structure away because you're going to tax the hell out of every move. Nobody making 400 grand is making 400 grand, right? Because if you're doing that, if you're taking that risk in a small business setting to try to net or gross rather 400 grand in receipts, you're one paycheck away from losing everything because you have you have employees. That's the thing is uh, this is going in, this tax is going directly against people who have a payroll. That's it. So it's when they have a choice, they're like, "Well, I have to pay this tax and have this payroll. Where are the cuts coming from? The government will 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 come after you if you don't give them their pound of flesh. And you're and gonna have to cut from payroll. And this is the most egregious part. They're doing this at the back end of COVID where all of these small businesses have tried to do anything they can to keep their doors open. It's insane. Right? It's insane. They've taken PPP loans. Their employees undoubtedly are on unemployment are undoubtedly, you know, getting assistance in terms of the, the STEMI checks back in December. And again, like all of these things are kind of like pulling together and the back end of it, they're like, Okay, now you can open your doors, but that when they said they want to quote build back better, this is what they're talking about. This is what they're talking about. This is this is a green new deal that they're pushing. They want total control. They don't want they don't want see if they can cut out the small business they want to cut out the middleman. They want everyone to be like, "Okay, okay, where's my stimulus check because they've got me 
they've got shut down. Every business is closed. I need the government. I need the government to take care of me. It's, it's, they've it's, cut out the middleman. It's, it's important you said that, Smug, because I think, you know, now that we've been in, you know, COVID lockdowns for a year under two administrations, you get a really divergent um, sense of their two different agendas, right? Like when the Republicans passed the COVID bill, the CARES Act uh, in 2020, you know, we set up PPP so that these businesses could keep employees on payrolls. Yep. Right. And so, and the Democrats, of course, attacked PPP. They, oh, it's a handout for, for business. We called it a corporate bailout. Meanwhile, like, right. A corporate bailout. What they actually want and the reason why they attacked it is they want to send people checks. They want to decouple uh, employees from these businesses and these businesses that have struggled for so long through COVID who've been just grinding it out to stay open, to stay alive, to have, have enough, uh, you know, revenue to survive. Now, the second that they get out of COVID, Oh, we're going to raise your tax bill. I'll it's tell you, right, unbelievable. That's what this bill. That's what that's what the Democrats are pushing. This is the she bailout. They don't want they don't want manufacturing. They don't want businesses in America. They want to tax them. They want to raise the taxes on them so it's not competitive to do any of that here in America. You're going to have like uh, if you're if you're a, if you're a large company, are you going to pay? this monster increase in taxes here, you're going to be like, you know what? Now the taxes are back up. We're going to go right back overseas. You're not going to have your factories here, folks. You're going to go right back to China. You're going to have all your manufacturing done there because, hey, the taxes are so high here in America, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And so those workers are now who previously could have had a job in manufacturing here in the U.S. because we were competitive. Yep, those workers, they're done for. They yeah, so now just Biden, need the government. Right, now, now Biden can send them another check. And that's the decoupling I'm talking about, right? It's like, you know, why would you open your doors back up in Detroit while the government has a gun to your head saying they're going to raise your taxes when you can move overseas? What do you think? So remember after uh, uh, Trump passed uh, the 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 tax cut plan, uh, what 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 happened is you got this barrage of news of companies are like, hey, we're going to build a factory here. Hey, you know what? We're going to have another factory here in the U.S. Hey. Saves us on shipping, and now we're competitive. Yeah, we're going to build here in the U.S. All those, all those places faced with this like monster tax hike. Nope, they're like, uh, yeah, we got to go to China. Too expensive. They're not gonna, yeah, they're not going to do it. And it's just, it's so maddening because it's happening in broad daylight. Yep. Right. I mean, these guys are—they're essentially saying to the American worker, "We don't give a shit Mm-mm. about your." upward mobility. We don't care whether or not you're self-motivated and you want to improve your life and your community and your family. What we're going to do is take away your ability to do anything for yourself. And instead, you're going to rely entirely upon us, right? We're going to send you a periodic check. We're going to pat you on the head. Don't worry. You're going to have real nice roads. You may worry a little bit about the criminal justice system since we're letting everybody out of jail. Yep. And, and by the way, the border is wide open, right? Yeah. Yep. Like I, I just think that this is the moment. I remember in 2009, Smug and, and Duncan, when we were at our lowest part uh, point for the Republican Party that in my lifetime. And I remember a moment in that spring of 2009 when they were starting to unroll Obamacare, when it was like, man, we just can't have this. I don't care if we win or lose. We got to fight this every tooth and nail and all the way to the very end. And all of a sudden it felt like everybody was with you, right? We spent like three or four years in different places on like the war and different places on, you know, TARP and all the crazy things at the end of the Bush administration. But all of a sudden all conservatives locked arms, Mm -hmm. right? And we were like, okay, I get it. I understand why I'm a Republican. I understand why we need to fight for this stuff and I'm not going to give an inch on it. And, and I think we're ahead of the curve in terms of where we were in 09 right now. I think people are looking at what they're trying to accomplish with HR one and like unseating the, the Congresswoman in Iowa. And, and now this ridiculous tax bill that just centralizes all power in Washington, DC. I think conservatives are like, Let's get off the mat, folks. It's time to go. And, and from a political standpoint, we're certainly in better position now than we were then, right? I mean, like we're on the precipice of a Senate majority again. You know, we, 
I think I like our odds to take back the house in 2022. Yep. yep. And so like, we can't be glum about this guys. We got to like actually stand up. That's and the thing is, it's no one, the media doesn't care. We have no referee who's going to call fouls. If you point out that, oh my gosh, if Trump had done this, oh my gosh, the Dems are hypocrites. This is what you can do. We need to, we need to join up arms. We have to look at what they're trying to do in broad daylight. This, this tax bill, this infrastructure bill, all this is tied together, folks. Why did those business, why did those small businesses go out? Why did they go out of business? There were lockdowns because the Chinese government did a cover-up on the COVID infection. And this isn't, you know, you're, you have the media now, which is trying to say, oh my gosh, trying to blame China for this is a conspiracy theory. There was a great front line on PBS, which is, you know, pretty much yeah. at this point as left-wing as it gets talking about all the, the, the absolutely criminal behavior that China did in covering up this virus, vital time when we could have actually tried to have a response to it, they covered it up, and then this is just unleashed on the world. So many people lost their jobs. So many people lost their lives. So many people lost their businesses. And now what are they going to get from this administration? A thank you gift. They're going to they're gonna give a thank you gift to, this, uh, to, to, to Xi by raising taxes on businesses here in the U.S., who are going to be forced to move overseas. And that's that's going to be their building back better. There are is, thousands is of China people. bailout. There are thousands of people, you know, maybe 100,000 100, of people who died early on in this pandemic because we didn't have a really effective treatment protocol for COVID when people went into the ER with COVID. And the reason why we didn't is because China actively suppressed yep. all of the information about COVID at the front end. And everyone forgets this too. They blamed COVID on American troops. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they did. Our, we we have Pompeo uh, on on uh, this episode. I was pre, you know, right when COVID was breaking out. I was, I was talking to the Secretary of State Pompeo, and there had been posters that were put up at Chinese embassies saying, "Beware the American military virus," trying to trick people into thinking, "Oh, COVID, COVID is coming from Americans." Yeah, man. And that's who that the only person who benefits from this bill, from from this tax raise, from this like infrastructure, from 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 Mayor Pete's taxes on gasoline and driving, only person who benefits is China. And I'll say this: Look, this is a very different situation than Obama, who was a incredibly gifted new generation politician who captured the imagination of a lot of Americans. I happen to think he was a terrible president, but he was in that moment in time in 2009, he was pretty compelling. This group of fucking clowns that we've got going yep. right now yep. are not interesting. They're not cool. They're not any, you got you got a president of the United States who doesn't know who his secretary of defense is. Yep. Speaker of the house who like, literally, I'm not kidding you. If you were to invent a more aloof, ridiculous, absurd, like comic book character, of a liberal politician than Nancy Pelosi, I don't know what you would draw. Like, I don't know what you could come up with. She, and a Schumer, who's just like absolutely terrified of getting primaried by AOC. So he has is, to run yeah. with these crazy clown ideas. Like, th this is the opposition. This is the opposition. I mean, we could, look, we're going to steamroll these guys, mm -hmm. right? This is, this is only a matter of time. But this happens quicker when everybody puts their jersey on and stops sniping back and forth about, you know, what all we may or may not have happened in 2020. And we start looking forward to prevent what could be catastrophic, catastrophic damage to our country over the next couple of years. And, and like, if you, if you're, if you're at all, uh, you know, sort of thinking I'm overstating it, they do away with the filibuster because of HR one, they're going to admit DC is a state. They're going to get two more Senate votes. We're not going to get that back. That's there's no way to get that back. You have a permanent Democratic majority as far as the eye can see. Oh, then they pack the courts. Then they pack the courts, right? And then they and they'll have federal control of elections. All right, but, your well, life looks very similar to the one that you've had under COVID forever. This is their forever. build back better. This is backdoor Green New Deal happening right now. That's what they want. That's what they want. So anyway. That's, that's our, uh, that's our lesson for the day. I think, you know what, 
guys I like the energy on that. I, I yeah. felt like I breathe, I, I breathe hot fire when I think about that, man, because this is insane. And, and the time has come gather around folks. It's time to take a stand. Absolutely. Speaking of keep of taking a stand, this guy's been doing it for a long time, but he did it really, really well during the Trump administration. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Secretary Mike Pompeo, how are you, sir? I'm good. Good to be with you. Listen, life hasn't slowed down for you. You're a pretty busy guy. I noticed there was some light travel to Iowa and New Hampshire even. There was. I didn't travel to New Hampshire, but I spoke to the uh, uh, Republican Party fundraising event there last week by Zoom. Uh, but I was up in Iowa helping Representative Ashley Hinson. I was in Nebraska helping General Bacon, Congressman from Omaha. Down in Texas, I was down in Texas helping Sarah Sanders in her race for governor in Arkansas. All good stuff, making sure 2022 is a complete blowout for the Republicans. Man, I feel like, is this just something that happens when you're Secretary of State? You just can't stop traveling? Is that, is, <laughs> how about you take a break, huh? You know, I did. I took a couple of weeks off. It was all good. Uh, <laughs> and this travel was a little easier, right? A couple hour flights instead of a day and a half. So all good. Well, I look, I love that you're engaged. I, I tease because I know how you love uh, traveling the country. But, uh, but, you know, I mean, some people have also taken notice that uh, you could be a potential presidential contender in 2024. Have you given that any thought? You know, it's always flattering when people talk like that. Uh, you know, I, I, I love this country. I am always up for a good fight. We are in an enormous fight with the progressive left. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I'm going to focus on the next year, year and a half, making sure that uh, they don't own both houses of Congress come January of 2023. And then uh, everything else will settle out. We'll see what happens after that. It was, it was fun to be up in Iowa. Everybody's, everybody's still excited. Everybody still understands that the challenges uh, that America faces uh, uh, are in a better place today because of what we did these past four years but they're under assault today. And so they are anxious to get back at it. And it was fun to be up there with them and help them think through how we should approach that. Yeah, well, look, I know nobody's going to bully you into running for anything you don't want to. Lord knows we tried to do that uh, a couple <laughs> years ago in Kansas. <laughs> you did, you did, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> you have a, a spine of steel, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. You were, you were most gracious and very kind. I appreciated the effort. So... One of the things, and I noticed the New York Times picked up on, they were aghast that you had some commentary on the Biden administration. My first thought was, holy smokes, I wonder if they've met John Kerry or Hillary Clinton, <laughs> right? They're, they're trying to, I guess, somehow presume that you are, are stepping outside the bounds of a secretary of state by making observations about your, your successors. But I, I'll tell you, you're right on. What, what do you think is the biggest problem that each in the outset of the Biden administration, they're creating for themselves with foreign policy. Well, Josh, you know, back to the New York Times piece for just a second, it was an odd piece in one sense. Uh, the story that somehow I wasn't conforming to the genteel diplomatic niceties that former secretaries of state had. First of all, I didn't do that when I was a secretary of state either. Right. Uh, we, I was, we were pretty straightforward. I'm from Kansas. We just kind of, people ask and you tell them what you're thinking. Uh, but yeah, the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy wasn't odd to watch the New York Times uh, pretend that history was uh, was something that they didn't have to consider what wasn't surprising to me at all. I mean, the woman who wrote that article completely disconnected from any sense of reality without acknowledging that previous secretaries of state had done uh, precisely this. They'd continued to make the case for what they did. I, I've tried. I, I, I hope this administration is successful. Uh, Secretary Blinken did some good work sanctioning senior Chinese leaders for what they've done in Hong Kong. I applauded him publicly for that. Uh, that I think that's what we all, as people who love America, need to do. Uh, you know, as for what they're working on today that concerns me, uh, really two things. One, their, their rhetoric on China has been pretty good. The things that they've talked about has been, there's been a lot of continuity. I was really proud that there was pretty good bipartisan support for the need to push back against the Chinese Communist Party. It always made me uh, it was always heartening to me to watch, you know, 100 to nothing votes in the Senate for Hong Kong sanctions and, uh, you know, 98 to two votes on uh, issues surrounding the genocide taking place in Western China. I hope that continues. But it's important to watch the actions, not just the words. I hope they won't talk loudly and carry a small stick. Uh, that is dangerous. And so we need them to deliver on the commitments that they've made and to kind of follow through in the same way that the Trump administration did. Uh, in the Middle East, I'm less optimistic. 
They, they have a fundamentally different worldview than we do, and we can talk about that if you'd like. And then the last thing I'd say is, in the end, as a Secretary of State, you deliver against a president's foreign policy, and you have an imperative to make sure you understand the commander's intent. What's the top-line view? President Trump's top-line view was America first. We're going to make sure that the things we do serve our citizens well. And that's complicated to execute, but the mission statement was crystal clear. My guess is that the mission statement inside, inside this administration looks like climate change first. Yeah, no question. And, and that is a, that is a the, the decisions that will flow from that, the policies that will emanate from putting climate change as, a priori as the highest and most noblest thing, I use that word noblest intentionally, noblest thing that one can do uh, doesn't portend well for our security. No, no, I mean, look, I, I couldn't agree more. Let's go back to the Middle East. You, you were, gosh, you were involved in so many things. I mean, I, I, I look back and preparing to talk to you today and I mean, literally end of the globe, you were involved in an incredible amount of, of things. But I think obviously one of the bigger accomplishments of the Trump administration is what you were able to accomplish in the Middle East. What are these guys doing? So it was a group of us. I, I don't take credit for this. This was a team. This was myself, uh, Jared Kushner, uh, Secretary Mnuchin, President, uh, our Ambassador Friedman, our ambassadors in the Emirates, uh, Ambassador Rukulta, uh, Ambassador Abizaid in Saudi Arabia, a, a big team that all came together uh, around a central understanding, which was, you know, for 40 years, for 40 years, we'd said, let's solve this, this fight between Israel and the Palestinians. And until we do, we're just going to do nothing. The previous administration, the Obama administration, had taken one further fill-up to that. Said, and if we can't solve that, let's kind of deal with the Iranians that <laughs> uh, that, uh, that hands them a bunch of money and creates the wealth and power, so they can. <laughs> too cynical, so that they'll have the capacity to underwrite Hezbollah and the Iraqi militias and the like. Uh, we flipped that all on a script. We said, look, Iran is the central animating force for instability in the Middle East. The regime in Iran. Second. Uh, we'd love to see the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians resolved, but we're not going to let them have a veto on further progress. And then lastly, uh, we began to work with the countries in the region to make the case for why collectively they could create more prosperity and more security for their own people if they would come together. And you know, the, the resulting effect of that was a number of things, including the Abraham Accords, which I am convinced will make life better for everybody who lives in the Middle East. It's, it's historic. I don't think it will be undone because I think it's now been, I think now the people in Bahrain and in the United Arab Emirates and in Sudan and Morocco will come to see the enormous personal benefits that accrue to them from it. And I don't think they'll let their governments go back. I'm optimistic that uh, that, uh, that desire to uh, integrate diplomatic, economic, security relationships between the Gulf states and the Israelis will only continue to grow. How much of those accomplishments do you think are a result of thinking outside the box and approaching things a little differently? You know, there's a joke in D.C. about foreign policy establishment and that there's really no difference between conservatives and liberals yeah. over a period of, of 30 or so years. Yeah. And obviously, you guys took an extremely different approach to that. And it was difficult, right? I mean, you, yeah. you talk about the deep state. I mean, the existence of the deep state, yeah. to, the, to the extent that there is a big one, it resides right squarely where, where you were presiding. Yes, 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 yes. It's true. Look, uh, we had two things going for us. The first is we had a president of the United States who was willing to break glass and prepared to deliver on the promises he'd made. So he said he was going to move the embassy, U.S. embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, right? He said he was going to do it. A lot of presidents campaigned on it. President right. Trump said, I said I was going to do it. Uh, and so it took us a bit. Uh, but in the end, the establishment said there would be Intifada 9 or World War Three or whatever the heck it was. Right. <laughs> we, we, we were pretty confident that we could manage this. Uh, and the timing was right. Uh, so we did. And it was the right thing to do. And we didn't have World War Three. And uh, I think the Palestinians came to see that we were serious about delivering on the promises that we'd made. And so whether it was my announcement about settlements saying, hey, you know, some of these settlements are actually legal. They're not, not every settlement's unlawful. It, that sent the UN into orbit. It sent, frankly, Republicans and Democrats from the foreign policy establishment into orbit. Uh, but it was actually true. And so we recognized that reality. And so we did have this, uh, this advantage 
of we were prepared to break with things that had historically underpinned foreign policy in the United States and think them through and take some risks. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, not, not all of them were successful. There's things I wish we had more time to go fix and, and, and build. But in, in most cases, we, we left these places, certainly the Middle East, in a far better place than when we came in for, year, for the four years we were there. Yeah, well, it's, that actually is an interesting segue because I, I did want to talk about, you know, much of foreign policy is just a constant evolution, right? And there's no static moment in time, like, hey, problem fixed, right? <laughs> Everything is changing. There are different world leaders, different personalities, yeah. different agendas. What are those things that you think of that, man, I just wish we had like three or four uh, more years to deal you know, with? It reminds me, I was with Secretary Baker, who is just a wonderful human being and was so kind to me both a CI director and a secretary of state. Uh, I was, I called him, I can't remember what I was talking about. And I was whining a little bit, I suppose. Uh, well, look at this hard problem I have in front of me. And he said, you know, young man, that problem's been around a lot longer than you have. <laughs> and, uh, he was right. He reminded me of his, what he had done and how he had thought about that problem, you know, goodness, 35 uh, years before me, 40 years before me. Um, look, the, the thing that really is going to require all our focused attention over the coming years and decades is the threat that emanates from China and the Chinese Communist Party. So we, I think, I think we awakened the world to this challenge. Uh, a lot of us had slept on this for too long. Uh, the United States included many other countries just closed their eyes, turned the other cheek and, and sold them stuff or uh, outsourced labor there. And we didn't recognize the fact that they are determined to undermine our republic, our, the, the, our way of life. Mm. Uh, we, we flipped that. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I think we changed the world's view on this. So we started to climb out of this uh, attention deficit and to build out a rubric of policies that will impose cost on China for their malign activity or for its malign activity. There's still a lot of work there to do. Mm. A lot of thinking, a lot of strategic thinking that yet needs to be done, a lot of diplomatic work, and then a whole bunch of work to continue to build out a set of central understandings that will unite the West, those of us who believe in uh, human dignity and freedom and the things that America values and democracies around the world value to build them out collectively to make sure that the next hundred years are a hundred years where the West still gets to set the rules. Uh, That's certainly better for the United States. I am convinced it's better for every human being on the planet. How much do you think it is such a complex problem? I mean, you're entirely right. How, how much do you think our building of the success that you, you've had vis-a-vis China is about maintaining sort of technological advantages? Because we've seen what they're trying yeah. to do with Huawei and, you know, basically across the board, make the world reliant upon Chinese infrastructure. You know, how, how much of that do we need to think about as Americans and making sure that we've got an entirely separate uh, brand that, that, you know, that promotes our values and, and, and protects our national security? Yeah, this is a central question. I, I think about it in two buckets, discrete buckets, recognizing that they're not completely discrete. The first one is things that matter for American national security. So let me identify something that might not. Uh, a plastic toy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you know, uh, Walmart Target wants to bring in a plastic toy. This is a separate set of issues from things that directly relate to American <laughs> national security. Things like the capacity to do high-end semiconductor manufacturing in the United States. Things like rare earth minerals, uh, making sure that we have a supply chain here in the United States that can deliver should the Chinese Communist Party ever decide to shut it down. So I put those in a national security bucket. A piece of that is what you referred to. We need the best AI here in the United States. We need it patented in the West. We need it controlled by Western companies that will apply property rights and the rule of law and an ethical morality norm to these practices. Blockchain technology, machine learning, all the things that are at the forefront of cutting edge technology, the United States and the West must continue to invest in and make sure that we understand it in a way that can protect and preserve our freedom here in the United States. Uh, then there's a second set of things. I, I joked about the plastic toy. There's a set of things that I would describe as more commercial, which accrue to economic benefits. There's places there where we can absolutely find ways that the West will end up interacting with China. 
But even that trade has to be conducted on a fair and reciprocal basis. Even, even that trade can't be based on human slavery, uh, right? I mean, today you have companies making money off slaves in China. We're, you know, we went through this in the 1860s. Uh, we, we, right, we, should, we shouldn't revert to those norms and somehow think if we've offshored that problem set, if we've offshored this forced labor, this, uh, this idea of slavery, we, it's, uh, oh, it's, it's okay because it doesn't happen in America. No, it's still not okay. Th those, are, those, are, uh, those are a broader set of concerns, the trade relationships and the obligations to treat every human being with dignity are things that are broader. They go past the national security imperative, but are also something we have to confront with China. Yeah, gosh, I could talk with you for two hours about China. There's very few people who have uh, so much texture and so much uh, perspective on that. I appreciate it. But I do want to get to one thing before we get to our, our three questions, because it's so outside of the box. North Korea, I imagine when you took the job, you probably didn't think that you were going to be... <laughs> In North Korea, at some point. Yes, that is a, that is a fair a, a fair presupposition. <laughs> Tell me about that experience. <laughs> you know, I so said, remember the first time I, I go there, it was a CIA director, and I go there on a clandestine trip, not a publicly announced trip. I I left on Good Friday, so we're coming up on the anniversary of my first trip there. I left on Good Friday morning. I came back. I got back late Sunday night, Easter Sunday night, or I can't remember. Might have been Monday morning. Um, to try and help the president deliver against fire and fury, right? You'll, you'll remember he was thought we were in a really tense situation. And so we were trying to take the tension level down and create a situation where we could have a, a rational discussion. The president was prepared to consider whether a summit might be appropriate. It was really quite the, uh, quite the experience. I, I can't say everything about it, but no, you, you don't. When I became CI director, I had no earthly idea that one day I'd be on a quiet plane traveling in the dark to land at a, a airstrip in Pyongyang to meet uh, Chairman Kim, who committed the most horrific crimes against humanity, <coughs> who had put out a war bear in prison and then returned him to us uh, only to have him perish as a result of how they treated him. Uh, it, was, it was quite the, uh, you know, I had a couple months to prepare for it, but nothing can quite prepare you for being there. I regret that we didn't make more progress. We, we convinced him not to do more nuclear testing and more long range missile testings, but we weren't able to give up, get him to give up his nuclear program. Uh, you know, we, got, we got three Americans back. It was the most lovely, wonderful moment of my time as Secretary of State to show up at Joint Base Andrews and watch those three Americans climb off that beautiful American airplane uh, who had been held there. We got the remains of 50 plus service members whose remains were in Korea. We got them returned to the United States uh, ultimately to their families. Uh, yeah, it was, it was quite the experience. And then the two summits where we, we had moments where I thought we might actually make progress only to find that we, we had to settle for something less than what we would have hoped we could ultimately get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, never a dull moment for you and your tenure. Well, you, you did a superb job. Thank you, John. I've got, uh, I got three questions for you. They cut to the heart of everyone. Secretary. Yes, sir. Go. So, the first one is your last meal on earth. What would it be? Uh, no brainer pizza. <laughs> that's great. Any particular kind of pizza? You know, that's a little controversial. I don't know if you saw the story. They, uh, the State Department uh, redacted the ingredients that I like on top of my pizza, so I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> that's classified. <laughs> uh, some FOIA request they blacked it out. Uh, I don't even know why. You know, uh, all in all, give me give me beef or pepperoni or something. That's man, uh, I, meat, meat lovers. We got classified information here, folks. We know what's on top of the pizza. <laughs> All right. All right. Second question. If you were not involved in politics and not involved in, in what you're doing, what would you be doing with your life? Yeah, probably back doing what I did before I ran for Congress in 2010. I was a small business owner. We had a couple hundred people that worked at a machine shop. I, I loved every moment of trying to you know, make customers happy, build out the team, grow, grow the workforce, make some money. I, I, I very much loved that. I, I consider that service too, where we had a couple hundred families that depended on us to be successful so that they could, you know, go on vacation, whatever it was, buy a motorcycle, take care of their family, send their kids to a school that they wanted their kids to go to. Uh, I, I remember that it was, it was wonderful service as well. I'll probably be back in the private sector doing something like that. 
That's great. All right. Third and final question. This one's hard to get around. Uh, what motivates Mike, Mike Pompeo more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Uh, it's back to my wild world of sports days. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, that, there's there's nothing like celebrating success as part of a team. There's, there's nothing like setting a mission, driving towards a goal and getting there and to, to look around at the team who delivered and be able to say thank you to them. I think that it, it's probably the thrill of victory that gets me up every morning, the opportunity to try and get to the end point that we're all looking for. Well, we are thankful that you've had that opportunity. Thankful for your service. And uh, we're going to keep an eye out because that travel schedule looks to me like you're not going anywhere for a while. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. If you see me in Iowa again, report back. All right. Thanks again. <laughs> so long, my friend. So, you know, it's it's funny. Um, you mentioned that you had an interaction with Pompeo uh, in the last couple of years. I, you know, I've had a few, but but as Secretary of State, it's such an important job. You know, he's very mm-hmm. much on, you know, on the job mm-hmm. and extremely rigid and as he should be. I mean, I pre- uh, he, he's a smart guy. He has his eyes on the ball. He but, he knows yeah. he knows he knows what his job was. He did his job. Uh, but, it's a shame how this is. He let his guard down here. Like this was a little. This is a warmer Mike Pompeo. I loved right? it. Right. I loved it. He's got like a. A. He's got a good sense of humor. He has good, um, sort of sense of the historical nature of what he was doing. Uh, man, he's locked in on China. Yeah, he's that's really the thing. Locked. That's the that's what I uh, that's one of the things that I very much appreciate. He he knows, and he's hundred percent running for president. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that also that he announced he's running here on the show. I think honestly, that's going to become a trend. <laughs> I think. I mean, we didn't get a no out of him. We didn't get a no out of Ted Cruz. I forget. Do we ask Tom Cotton about it? We should get him back and ask him point blank. I want to ask him. Senator Cotton, you're running for president because this is officially ruthless is now the first stop. You stop it's, here, then you go to Iowa. Yeah, it's the first stop. It's the first stop. But anyway, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate Secretary Pompeo making the stop because um, I actually learned some stuff. And, you know, we like to keep it light on the program. We like to do variety. We sing, we dance, we entertain. But occasionally you're going to get a little something yeah, that yeah. you can take with you. You're going to sound pretty smart at the next party you got. And anything that he said, about the Middle East, about China, about North Korea, man, that's like a, that's like a cheat sheet. Yeah. And and, you know, that's the thing is again, like I know I've said it, you'll probably get tired of me saying it is pointing out the hypocrisy on the left. It's going to get us nowhere. It's going to take us from a grassroots level. We got to band together when you're, when, when you're grabbing a beer with a friend, when when you're talking to a buddy and, and, and you start hearing them, sound like they're making some sense you let them know hey maybe you should you should give ruthless a listen get these folks off the sideline get these folks off the sideline you're not you're not getting anyone else who's talking about this let them know too smug's getting hot yeah i'm starting to think he could actually take the horse the china thing man it gets me if that if the horse started saying it was pro she want to raise taxes that horse is toast a chinese dressage horse i think you could take yeah oh yeah (laughs) Chinese Communist Party horse, no chance. I'm still trying to picture the faint rib kick. I I can see it a little bit uh, more so after this segment, but you know, yeah, let's let's uh, let's play this out. (laughs) So that was an absolute banger of an episode. Outstanding work, gentlemen. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lips. Stay ruthless. We'll see you on Tuesday.